HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by greatbrewers.com, a social media marketing platform dedicated to promoting the world's great brewers and the beers they create. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, 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 this is Jimmy Carboni with Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's May 13th, 2014. We've got flagship brewing from Staten Island. We've got a Bird vs. Wine showdown, and we've got a call-in from the Farmhouse Brewery and Malthouse Upstate. So uh, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Thanks to our sponsors, GreatBrewers.com, a comprehensive website aimed at bringing the beer community together. All right. So we got some special guests. we got Zach Mack from ABC Beer Company back in the house. How How's it going, you? Jimmy? Good to see you, man. Good to see you, too. So what's going on in the world of beer over at ABC Beer Company? Oh, well, you know, gearing up for the warm weather, finally. Looks like winter's actually going away, and we're, we're planning a bunch of events for the summer, kind of highlighting food and beer pairings for people to, uh, to kind of get into the summer party mode and... Uh, you know, embracing the new summer styles and all that. So, what what new beers are you bringing in for the spring and the um, summer? We're trying to keep it keep it pretty local, but the local guys are are doing a good job with us. Like Finback is, uh, we got Star Star Child Sour on draft right now. We're bringing in a bunch of stuff from the guys over at uh, Other Half. They've done like a smoked saison that we're doing, things like that. Um, and then you know your typical other six point fairs and things like that. So. Great. Yeah. And you brought your friend, uh, our friend, Tess Rose Lambert. Hey, You Jimmy. guys are going to talk a little later in the show about wine versus beer. And it's going to be fun. Yeah. Very and looking forward to that. What, what, what kind of programs do you do at ABC Beer Company? Um, as it stands right now, we are, we're planning about uh, a bunch of different classes based on simple styles. And like I said before, a lot of food pairing stuff because that, that really is important to us. We, we do a lot of business with our cheese and our meat selections. And people don't realize how great the pairings can be. So Tess and I... As friends and, and roommates actually came up with the idea one night that there's, there's a lot of competition to be had for people um, who have interest in wine versus people of interest in beer. Friendly competition. Friendly competition. So <laughs> we, uh, we decided that it would be best to put our, our, our brilliant, brilliant drinking wines to good use and start pairing things and see which people preferred if they want beer or wine or their dishes. So. All right. That's going to be the third segment. That's going to be pretty fun. We'll probably get some. Did you bring any wine for that, Tess? No, but I have a beer that has some wine influence. Awesome. 
And we'll probably have some platters of charcuterie or something, too, so we can eat and drink uh, in the third segment. The first week, we've got uh, the newest brewery in New York. I guess officially it will be the newest brewery, Flagship, in Staten Island. You're the first brewery in Staten Island since the 60s. Patrick, uh, welcome to the show. How you doing? All right. So Patrick Morse, head brewer, Flagship Brewery. It says you worked at Harpoon for four years. That's right. But uh, just tell us how you got started and how you ended up making beer, because you're, you're kind of a beer veteran now. Yeah, it's been uh, about eight years now since I started brewing professionally. Kind of got the interest in college, go figure, you know, drinking beer, trying different local craft brews. I was in upstate uh, near Cooper's Down, so I was trying Oma Gangs and different Belgians. So when I wrote my senior thesis for business, I figured it'd probably be a lot more fun to write it on beer than, you know. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> you didn't have to study beer, you just got to write about it. Yeah, and then I just went and visited a bunch of breweries and drank and then wrote a paper about it. So that was great. <laughs> so, Zach, so you're pretty in touch with a lot of the new local breweries in New York City. Have you heard anything about Flagship? Yeah, I have. I, I just told Patrick before we went on the air, I can't wait to get my hands on his beer. Um, we're, you know, like I said, we like to support the local guys. We have all the other boroughs on the map so far except Staten Island. Haven't poured anything from you guys yet, and I'm really excited to pick it up. So well, let's, we'll let's, get it to you. Let's start yeah. by tasting this. So tell us a little bit about the wit, and then our expert panel of Tess and Zach will talk about the flavors a little bit. So yep. get them warmed up for their wine versus wine versus beer. <laughs> Great, yeah. This is a you know a, a pretty typical wit. I, I call it the American wit uh, because it really doesn't use any ingredients from Belgium, and uh, I tried to get that that citrus characteristic that's fairly common in in most Belgian wits uh, with West Coast hops like like Cascade and some of those really citrusy ones. Uh, so pretty much all natural um, ingredients. Uh, from America, and uh, you know, got that good yeast flavor, yeast haziness. Uh, drinkable, approachable for you know pretty much anyone. We want it to to go to you know all the people in Staten Island and, and all around the, the five boroughs. So Zach and Tessa, what do you think of this wit? This it's a little is different than most wit. Absolutely, this is delicious. Like I, like you said, I can tell you're using some of the aggressive hops, and I like that. I also like the double the double meaning behind the name. American yeah. wit could be could be a lot of things. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is this is beautiful. I, I'm excited to have uh, something like this in my hand for the summer. It's starting to warm up in New York, and this is the sort of thing I'm reaching for off the bat. So what stands out to me is the texture. It's really approachable, very soft, just the right amount of carbonation. And I think about texture a lot, whether it's beer or wine. That has that informs a lot of how you're going to do a pairing or what kind of drinking experience you're going for. And this is absolutely perfect for Imagine. just kind of. Kicking back, easy drinking. Imagine this with like a spinach salad with like strawberries and feta or something. It'd be like perfect. Yeah, that sounds good to me. <laughs> Bring it on in. So, Patrick, so when, when you started, I said you worked at Harpoon Brewery in Vermont. That's and right. Tell us about some of the jobs you did there to, to learn to become a brewer. Sure thing. Yeah, it's uh, the old Catamount Brewery. Harpoon got it in the, uh, the late 90s or early 2000s. I don't remember exactly. Um, and, yeah, I started out there. You know, it was, it was basically like a paid internship. They had a training program. Uh, I really wanted to go to, like, brewing school, but couldn't afford it right when I got out of college. And they offered a program that was, you know, somewhat similar. And uh, from day one, I you know, almost every day I did something different in the brewery, like from uh, working in the cellars, cleaning tanks, working on the bottling line, brewing. I, I even did some sales and stuff like that uh, for the first few months I worked there. And then... You know, a position opened up, and they started training me in the brew house, and and you know, the rest is kind of history. I was I was there for about four years. And then where did you go after that? 
Um, I went to Los Angeles, New York for an upstart brewery called Eagle Rock. Um, I was there for a couple years, really helped them get off the ground. They were uh, a couple of really great home brewers that, you know, put it all on the line to get, you know, get up and going. And I brought some of that professional brewing experience to kind of help them out. And, you know, everything worked out great. So when you were at Harpoon in Vermont, what, what what barrel system were you guys using? Like how many barrels and all that? We're making 50, 50 barrels per batch, but we were going into 200 and 250 barrel fermenters. So we were cranking out about, you know, four anywhere from four to six brews a day there. And then when you went to Eagle Rock, how many barrels were they doing? They had a 15 barrel system, which is a lot like what we have now at, uh, at Flagship. So it's about 500 gallons per batch of beer. What what do you think is like the most common thing going on with new breweries now? Is 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 there a goal you have in mind? Like, do you have a certain number of barrels of beer you have to make to know you can become successful? You know, or do, do you expect to grow and make a profit? You know, what are some of the goals that you guys have opening up? It, that's a great question. I mean, it's really I don't think there's any real guidelines. Like, we we certainly have a plan of expansion and all that stuff going forward, but. The startup cost for a brewery, I mean, we bought all of our equipment brand new, and that's a, that's a hell of a lot of stainless, and that's a lot of money. So, you know, really the, the initial goal is to, to get open, you know, make some great beers. I was fortunate because they bought a Sabco system a little over a year ago, that, you know, a, a half barrel, you know, kind of like the Cadillac of homebrewing systems there. You know, made a one keg at a time, and... You know, I was just cranking out test batches, you know, over and over again for uh, the last, you know, about nine months before we got the real brewery installed. But, yeah, really, it's just to get up and going and then get the product out there and then expand when you can. All right. Uh, where in Sat- or Staten Island are you guys? I I don't know the island very, very well. I've got some friends from out there. But are you guys, like, near the south? or I, I don't even know. <laughs> Wait, I didn't even know how to phrase a question. <laughs> well, uh, well, first, how do you get to Staten Island? <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go right ahead and say I'm from Maine originally, so I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I am from Maine, but I've I've become very accustomed to Staten Island. Uh, if you're familiar with the ferry from Manhattan over to Staten Island, it's it's a free ferry. It runs 24 seven. We're about an eight minute walk from the ferry. That's in St. George. Technically, we're in Tompkinsville, and actually. If you take the ferry from Manhattan to Staten Island and get on the Staten Island Railroad, it's the very first stop from the from the ferry terminal, and we're right there. That's fantastic. I always people always come and asking if there are breweries around here I can send them to, and if you guys do you have a tasting room open or anything like that yet? Are you guys? Yep, we're. It's not open yet. It'll be open this weekend. Where nice. a grand opening will be uh, Saturday from two to eleven. It's somewhat of a soft opening. It's our you know open to the public, but. We're probably going to have a bigger bash later this summer, but this is this is the real grand opening. I'm waiting for my invite. I can't wait. Oh, you'll get it. <laughs> you'll get it. I met him on Saturday. So talk about new breweries. I was at the Finback Brewery, uh, the Taste Room grand opening, because they've been yeah. selling for a couple months. Yep. And uh, talk about breweries. I mean, they're about the same size as you, about 15 barrels. And uh, that's the biggest change I'm seeing, that it's not just like one, like when Barrier started, they were like this one-barrel system. Yeah. But the new breweries are all coming in with, with 15, like Single Cut and Finback and, and yeah. Flagship. It's all about your marketing, all about the marketing approach. If you don't have enough barrels to meet demand, sometimes you have to kind of take what's now an untraditional approach to getting your beer out there to the masses. 
letting people know you exist. It's it's starting to get busy in New York for the first time uh, in a long time. So it's good to see people like these guys uh, are coming through with like a, a full blown, headstrong uh, approach to entering the market, and they really want to make sure they can get out in front of everybody and. From the taste of American wit here, it's going to be good. So, Zach, how do you pick your case? So, like, let's say guys like Flagship and Finback, all the new breweries want to sell to you, but you have other beers as it's well. It's mostly darts and uh, darts and a chalkboard. <laughs> no, I uh, I sit down and I, a lot of the times it's easy for me to uh, to pick the local guys because I have direct relationships with the guys making the beer. They'll show up and they'll give me tastes, or they'll just show up and, and explain to me what they're doing. And I'll either have heard of them before from uh, from reading about them online or something like that, or um, you know, de- developed a relationship with them online, and it becomes easy filling the typical keg rotation with whatever they've got um, and test driving the stuff. It's lucky because it could be, you know, it would be one thing if they're just local guys and they're making beer, but they're making good beer and, th- and stuff that people keep coming back for. And when I put it on draft, those are the first ones to kick, and they sell the fastest, and, and I sell the most growlers of it, and people it brings people back in, if, especially when the brewers come in for the night and kind of do meet and greets and. and kind of make themselves like publicly available people really get down with that and uh it's it's great to have that available now it wasn't that way i'm only two years old two years old this week Woo. um but Congratulations. it's thank you <laughs> but uh it's crazy to think that two years ago uh what was available locally and what's available now it's kind of insane and then how do you see it i mean you're making beer you're in staten island have, have you been to a lot of different potential accounts do you feel like you're getting to know the, the beer scene patrick yeah, I mean, I, I traveled around Staten Island when I first got to know the, the co-owners, um, Jay Sykes and Matt McGinley, and they, they brought me to some of their places. Jay worked for Phoenix Beverage, who's our distributor, and, and Matt was working for Guinness at the time. And, you know, I I know in Staten Island it's it's a little more blue-collar in the areas, especially the area we're in, and, and people drink stuff that they want to have a few of. So that's kind of how I, you know made the styles based on that but yeah i've been to a lot of accounts when i worked for um as we were talking about eagle rock earlier i then uh my wife got a job in new york we moved out here and i got a job at kelso in brooklyn um and and heartland uh the brewery there in uh clinton hill and we when i worked there i I went to tons of different events and and accounts and, and got used to the local scene and i've been to abc and i've been to you know, a bunch of places. So kind of seeing what people like, you know, it's kind of a happy medium between what people want to drink a lot of and what people are think is really interesting and, and different when it comes to craft beer. When you were at, uh, so Kelso is it's, it's Greenpoint Beer Works. It seems That's like right. so many yeah. of the new breweries spent some time there. I know Rich from Single Cut worked there and uh, definitely the guys from other half of there for a long time, Sam. Mm-hmm. Yep, um, Sam. When you were there, did you get to, they have one outpost called House and Hall. Mm-hmm. Did you get a chance to make one of the signature beers for that? Do you remember that program? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I made Patrick's Belgian Blonde when I was there. Is it still up at the house and hall? I wish I knew. <laughs> I, I think it is. I don't know if it still has my name on it, but <laughs> I know that was a pretty popular one. And, and certainly that somewhat developed into what, what we're drinking right now, per se. Um you know, my, my love for Belgian blondes and wits and stuff like that. But it really, I, I like all different styles of beer, but they were specifically looking for that. And, yeah, I, I made a, a blonde for the House and Hall. Let's make a toast to Kelly Taylor at Kelso and Greenpoint Beer Works because yeah, so many of uh, the, the new breweries, the brewers came through there. So it's kind of a cool story, right? Yeah, I mean, totally. got a little home, It's like the little homegrown, uh, you know, training ground. Exactly. 
breeding our own here. It's good. Well, what was, what was great for me at Greenpoint was, you know, not only do we make all of Heartland's beer and all of Kelso's beer, we did we had a ton of contracts like we were making for uh, Southampton, Great South Bay, uh, Empire is a big one that I think they still do there, and, and several others. So I mean, on any given day, I, I worked in the brew house when I worked there, and I mean, it could be one of any few hundred beers that we're making. So I got to brew a lot of different styles, got it kind of stuck in my head, all these different styles and, and how to brew it and, and what ingredients go in what. And, you know, it makes it a little bit easier becoming a head brewer for another brewery to, when you're developing recipes and stuff like that. So, the, and that's still craft. So it's like the world of craft, has, there's a lot of hats. There's nano breweries and brew pubs and new 15 barrel brews like you guys and special places like Kelso and Greenpoint Beer Works. Yep, for sure. Do you consider Harpoon, is that craft, too? Uh, certainly. I mean, I would say so. They're, they're getting to the, the other side of it, I guess. They change the classification every year, it seems like, with the Brewers Association. But I think they're between 100 and 200,000 barrels now a year. and you know, But they're still making the same style of beers we're making. So, And, and they do a lot of the, the single-batch stuff and a lot of different stuff. And But, I mean, they're flagship beer at, at harpoon is an ipa so i mean I, I consider that craft beer did you bring another beer besides the wit i did i brought our uh, apa or american pale ale let's try that before before we take a break and uh, we'll have our expert tasters tell us about it <laughs> so we got so tess tess and uh, zach so tess you, you've worked at you worked a little bit at jimmy's number 43 you 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 do some wine classes at Astro Center. Tell us a little bit more about you while he pours. Yeah, so I've been doing wine and beverage education, but mostly wine for the past six years or so. Um, and, you know, I really just love to make things available to the public. There's a stigma, especially about wine, that it's snooty or you have to know a lot to enjoy it. And that's absolutely not the case. So what I try and do is make all the flavors available to people. Um, and get people tasting and learning what they like, learning how to talk about it. The The goal is so that everyone can get the most joy and pleasure out of each drinking experience. All right. Well, let's make a, we'll take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk about the second beer. We're here on Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. <laughs> you like good beer whether you're a craft beer pro or just had your first sip of an ipa greatbrewers.com is your number one beer resource on the internet greatbrewers.com bridges the gap between the world's great brewers and the consumers who enjoy their products with so much information and misinformation out there greatbrewers.com focuses on education and leaves no stone unturned take the great beer test on their website and browse through an extensive product catalog download their mobile beer cloud app which includes a GPS beer finder, a beer sommelier, and descriptions for over 5,000 different brews. What are you waiting for? Back up that passion for craft beer with some solid information and education. Visit greatbrewers.com today.
Hey, it's Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're back in the studio. We're, we're tasting some new beers from Flagship Brewing. Not only the newest brewery in New York City, the first brewery on Staten Island since the 1960s. we got the brewer, Patrick Morse. we we got Zach and Tess. We're going to do a beer versus wine showdown later in, in the show. All right, so uh, Patrick, tell us about the, the new beer you poured for us, and then Tess and Zach will give us a little bit of commentary. All right, this is our American Pale Ale, or APA for short. Um, I guess the American Pale Ale is something that's kind of developed over the years um, in the States. It's, it's somewhere, I, I would say, in between your regular British Pale Ale and the American IPA. Um, this one's pretty hoppy. Some people might mistake it for IPA, but it's not very bitter. Uh, it uses all American hops, so that's kind of you know the inspiration for it, just like the last beer. Um, and it's it's got some... F- Real fruity notes, real citrusy, and also a little bit of tropical in it. Yeah, it's nice. Tess, what do you think of this? I really like the balance between that fruitiness and the bitterness. It all comes together. Again, it's not beating you over the head with any one flavor. They're all very well integrated, and it's got a nice finish, to use a wine term, right? It leaves a really nice, pleasant, lingering flavor in the mouth. Exactly. I completely agree, yeah. I I. The American Pale Ale thing, like you said, it's the hybrid style. Now that it's the in between the English and the American uh, English Pale Ale and the American IPA, and the might the malt backbone on this is like perfect because you can get the kind of you know training steps into like the larger, heavier styles with something like this to kind of wean you into the idea of uh, the use of American hops while still getting the balance with uh, with maltiness. And I'm, I'm really, really down with this. The finish is beautiful. She's right. It's nice. It's, it's different than, than most other pails that we get. Well, let's let's jump on. We've got a, a phone call. Someone that we met uh, uh, last month, Governor Cuomo hosted the New York Beer, Cider, Spirits, and Other Things, Wine Summit, <laughs> uh, upstate in Albany. And one of the guys we met uh, was Marty Mortrazo. He's the, from the Farmhouse Brewery. And uh, first, he opened the Farmhouse Malt in Newark Valley, which is way up. I think it's by the Finger Lakes. Marty, how are you, buddy? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Good. So we got a good panel. We're, we've got um, a, a beer bar owner and a, a wine educator and a, a brewer who's uh, got a new brewery on Staten Island. Tell us a little about your background, how you guys started, why you focus on doing malt, and uh, just tell us that the background because we've been talking about need, the need for malt facilities for a number of years, and uh, uh, and thus and behold, I met you in Albany. Yeah. So we we uh, I started home brewing about ten years ago. And uh, shortly thereafter, we bought a, a, a farm with some property, and we planted hops. And uh, we started making beer with our own hops, and we thought, what's the next level of difficulty? So I started uh, malting our own, our own grain. And uh, started. so I've been home malting for about uh, since 2008, 2009. Uh, and then, uh, so as we, we thought that would be a cool thing to do, and, and it'd be a great way to get into the beer business. And we started doing, started malting about uh, two years ago. We started the finding farmers that would grow grain for us. And uh, just about a year ago, we opened up and we've been selling uh, malt to, to brewers and distillers in New York State. Uh, all our malt is, all our grain is bought from New York State farmers uh, and then sold back to New York State farm breweries and farm distilleries. You know, a lot of our guests are, are brewers, and we talk sometimes about what it takes for them to set up a brewery. But what did it take for you to set up a malt house, like, and, and you know, scale-wise and, and all that? Yeah, so we, 
Yeah, we did a lot of research, and I, like I said, I've been molting for a while and tried several different ways, and decided the best way for us uh, on the scale that we wanted to do it on was to uh, come up with a one bin that we could do all three steps in, where we could steep, uh, germinate, and kiln all in the same place so we don't have to convey the the malt several times throughout the process. So uh, did some research, and we found uh, what we ended up using were dairy bulk tanks. We welded in a false bottom into those, and we blow air. We use a false bottom to drain the water back out after it steeps, and then we can blow air through that false bottom to both keep it cool uh, during germination and to heat the grain up during the kilning process. So we have uh, we malt about 3,000 pounds a week in about a 12 by 15 foot area. Uh, and then we need about the same amount of space just for cleaning and, and bagging. Uh, and so we, we for the kiln, we use a boiler to, to get those air temperature up hot enough. And um, so that's what we do. We... Uh, <laughs> All right, man. I get a little sense of it. I keep thinking of these big dairy containers. Well, Patrick, the brewer from uh, Flagship, Patrick, what do you know about malting? Have, have you ever been part of that process? Uh, I, ne- I never have been part of that process. I've always been extremely interested in it, but, you know, for the most part, it's, it's not done around here. And I think it's great that, you know, someone's doing it, you know, start off as a hobby and now it's turning into something, you know, a little more commercial, but... You know, for the most part, we're getting all of our malt from from Canada and overseas. So, to to have something local, and, and we were really interested in doing the farm farm to brew license. And um, you know, it's something I'd like to ask about is, you know, the, the prices for malt locally, and 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 being able to keep up with the percentages you have to 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 use in your beer when you're brewing to be able to hold that farm to brew license. Yeah, it, it, the, the upside is that there's since the farm brewery license was was uh, passed, uh, there's been a lot of people who want to malt. So there there's there will be another half dozen malt houses in the next year or so that'll open up around New York State. Uh, so it'll, it'll add locality even even more uh, to to the malting. You know, being able to find a malt house that's close to you, so not only is the grain not shipped across the country, but you don't have to ship the malt from across the state and. Uh, It'll make it make it much more available and hopefully bring the price down to, to a little bit, anyways, to help the brewers. Well, that right now, great. we're charging at least twice what you would, what most breweries pay for cheap Canadian grain. Yeah, we'd love to hear it. Love to you know keep it local and and use you know local ingredients as much as possible. But you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> for the for the most part, local ingredients are hops from the northwest. And but we did we 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 bought some hops uh, at flagship. Uh, or some rhizomes and brought them down and planted them in Staten Island, and uh, we're certainly looking to do uh, like a New York State, you know, type of uh, all ingredient beer coming up soon. So it's it's awesome to hear what you're doing and and the fact that other uh, local malsters are are getting into the business. Yep. So, Marty, just uh, so you, of the 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 malt that you make, how much of that do you use in your brewery, and and how much are you selling to other people? Right now, we use about about a third of what we produce we keep for ourselves. And uh, we're still a pretty small brewery, but that helps us stay about 100% New York malt in our in most of our beers. Uh, so you're the, we only, don't you're have, the we don't, only person. We don't make any specialty malts yet, so those our darker beers are not 100% New York. We buy the specialty malts. So how did you go uh, from, from malting to, to, to brewing? Well, I was a brewer first. So I took my brewing knowledge and my ability, uh, ability my, my 
desire to uh, I like to like the flavor of malt and, and I understood malt and so that, that I think that certainly helps uh, with malting you know understand what the flavor aspect should be for each uh, for what I'm making uh, and then being able to test it you know the, the best part is, is making beer with it and finding out you know if, if my trial and errors worked at first there was a lot of errors <laughs> but uh, eventually we got it nailed down and dialed in and uh, so the the brewing background certainly helps with the malting side. I think it'd be hard to be a maltster if you don't already brew and understand different malts and malt characters. Uh, All right. Well, the 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 beer that uh, Patrick served us is a American Pale Ale that has like a nice malt quality. Uh, Patrick, what what uh, malts did you use in this beer? And let's see if 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 Marty's making anything comparable. Yeah. Um. Actually. All three of our beers that we're uh, rolling out with this weekend use uh, a malt called Golden Promise, and it's it's a little bit more expensive, and it's it's kind of popular in the home brewing and craft brewing world. It's it's you know it, it's kind of like it's sort of similar to Maris Otter if you've ever heard of that malt, which is a traditional English uh, brewing malt. It's not quite as pale as a regular you know. Pale malt or um, you know regular Truro barley. It's got a little bit of roasty character. This beer, like as an American pale ale, you know, I feel like that category is of of or that genre of beer is open a little bit to interpretation. So I I, I wanted to make sure this had a good malt bone, uh, backbone, and uh, as you can see, it's it's a little bit more brown and, and redder than than most pale ales, um, and that's from using a some more roasted malts, but really I'm a big fan of the Golden Promise, and, and that's what we're using for our base malt right now. All right, Marty. Zach, any questions for the guys? Um, actually, yeah, Marty, I don't know, where exactly are you upstate? I mean, the last time I was on the program, we were talking about the governor's programs to kind of get people incentivizing New York growers to do more malting and, and growing hops and things like that, but are you up in the, in the part of the state where uh, there's already a lot of agriculture? I'm not even sure. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yep. We, uh, our, our our farm is about seven miles from the nearest uh, red light. <laughs> we are so we are definitely the red, uh, red light district, to Marty. Here, uh, close to Marty, 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 about half an hour Marty, from uh, Binghamton and Ithaca. You mean the red light district, Marty? <laughs> no, not the red light district. A red light, uh, <laughs> seven miles away from the red light district. <laughs> Well, we have a couple of those red lights in Manhattan. We could send your way if you want them. <laughs> so Newark Valley. Yes, it's Newark Valley, so it's half an hour from Binghamton and Ithaca, kind of right in the middle of the two. Oh, very nice. Yeah, I mean, I, are you guys expanding anytime soon to, to – I know you're probably sending around locally, and, and I don't know what your production is like outside yep. of uh, – Yeah, our production right now is about 3,000 pounds uh, a week, and about a ton of that a week goes to distilling malt. Uh, so that goes out to distillers, and, and about 1,000 nice. pounds a week goes out to brewers. Uh, nice. We make everything from just a, from a Pilsner to a pale malt. Um, and it's two and six show right now, but this, uh, you know, it's being agriculture, being local, it's going to be whatever farmers plant this year. And, uh, I mean, maybe at the, right now it's looking like most of what was planted was six row. So we'll be doing a lot more six row this following year. That's great. Um, so it'll be, you know, it'll be year to year. It's going to taste different and that's going to be a good thing. It's, uh, it'll taste like New York and whatever New York gave us, whatever the bounty was this year will be what our beer tastes like. You know, Marty, I want to ask you more questions, but one half of me is like, well, I want to ask him more about malt. Then I want to ask him about his brewery. So, uh, yeah, I'm, ex- I'm, I'm very yeah, curious I mean, about that myself. 
Um, I mean, I, I don't know if you, uh, for your brewery, I, I don't know your, your setup at the moment, but are you, uh, how much are you producing right now? We are, well, we just, we've, we've done our fourth uh, pro brew this, this week. Uh, we're doing a three-barrel system. So we're making about 100 gallons of, uh, about twice a week. Uh, we hope to be our production. Wow. Uh, so it, it's mostly going to, it's going to lean more towards uh, Belgian styles. Uh, but we'll have a few crowd pleasers as well to keep people coming in. Our, our gateway beers, we call them, our cream ale and our Hefeweizen. Oh yeah, gotta have them. Did you get <laughs> Did you get some support from New York State when, when you were opening up? Uh, not really. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean we definitely had support. You know, we we had a lot of support from Sam Filler and the One Stop Shop. You know, as far as the brewery goes. Uh, there's been a lot of support with answering questions and helping farm breweries get going. Uh, the malt house was different. We were the first one in New York State since uh, first craft malt house in New York State with Prohibition. So uh, ag and markets didn't know what to make of us. They didn't know what to do with us. They just said, you know, as long as you meet uh, the other two uh, 20C license type places, you know, have a three-bay sink and all you know, your walls be cleanable, then I guess you can make malt here. So we were the first one, and... Uh, so it was a little weird. At first, it took a little bit to, for Agamarcus to decide what they wanted to do with us. No, but they did it. We opened, and we're making malt. So you're you're cool. a trailblazer. We're making, yeah. making beer. You're a trailblazer. You're and <laughs> it's funny because I, I hadn't heard anything ab- about you until I, I met you in Albany. So I, I uh, it. what I'm trying to say is that we've heard so much about this, the building blocks of beer. We're going to talk more about wine, too, today. You know, without the malt, you really can't make local beer. and. That's it, yeah. You know, we're we're really proud that you're doing it, but I I, I see what you went through because I don't even know what questions to ask you. But our friends in uh, in Massachusetts, you know, Andrea at Valley Malt, I mean, they've been doing it for a few years, but it, it yep. just sounds crazy that that you you did it on your own and and the regulators didn't even know what to make of you. I mean, it's like what were you <laughs> making uranium or something? I mean, <laughs> I mean, tell us like like your farmers around you. Let's give us a quick anecdote before we sign off. What 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 are things that people thought when you were doing this? People think you're crazy. Did did people were they supportive? Oh yeah, for years I would talk about this with with home brewers and say, you know what I want to do? I want to open a malt house. That sounds really cool. And they'd be like, that's stupid. Malt's so cheap. Why would you even do that? You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, you know, it's so labor intensive and it's so inexpensive. Just buy it. Why would you even make malt? You know. So yeah, I got a lot of people telling you you're crazy to, to open a malt house. Nobody does that. You know, we went around to a lot of all the farmers we first talked to for a couple of years. We talked to farmers resistant to grow barley and they would say no one grows malting barley in New York I you think say, a lot well, of people in the future will be thanking because you. nobody grows malting barley in New York you know no one really had a good answer they just knew that since it doesn't happen they didn't want to be the first one to try it uh, well, Mario, th- so, thanks so much for calling us I'm gonna we're gonna take a short break in a minute but um we definitely want to get you guys down here to New York City have you on the show live sometime we can taste some of your beers okay because okay, uh, we're just talking more about malt we did an event this winter uh, we had with 20 different brewers work with New York State Grain, and uh, we'll talk more about that, okay? So thanks thanks for calling in. Thanks so much, Marty. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right.
Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network.org. If you don't know it, we're a nonprofit and you can become a member. There's going to be a lot of uh, special membership drives and incentives coming up. And uh, we've got some new people working here Allison from Astro Center and uh, our, our good buddy Aaron Fairbanks, the executive director, and Jack Inslee, our. our uh, Lead engineer, producer, and everything. So it's a great team here, and I'm, I'm, I'm very proud to be part of it. We've been here for over four years. We've got a great sponsor, greatbrewers.com. A lot of great regulars like like Zach from ABC Beer. It's, was your third time on now? Third time. Yeah. Third time's a charm. And Tess, too. You've been on a couple of times. Yes, yeah, my second time. Yeah. And we're showcasing new things like uh, Flagship Brewery and uh, all that stuff. So go ahead. Check it out, heritageradionetwork.org. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm a member, and... Uh, there's a lot of parties coming up, too. So, hey, uh, here we are. Roberta's in Brooklyn. Everyone wonders, what do we do all the time? Well, we come out here. We put on a live show. We, we network. We meet new friends. And we eat. And uh, I think that pizza's been a favorite, but there's a lot of other things. There's charcuterie. There's meats. There's a lot of vegetables, a lot of good, like, seasonal local vegetables that they have on the menu here, too. So we're going to talk with, uh, with Zach Mack. From ABC Beer Company and Tess Rose Lambert, who's a wine educator. We're going to do a little talk about wine versus beer. Uh, Tess, what beer did you bring? So I brought the White Monkey, which is the Golden Monkey from Victory, which is then aged in oak barrels that used to have Chardonnay in them. So it's a beer still because we're Beer Sessions Radio, but I wanted a little wine twist on it. So you, you guys, uh, sometimes next week, in fact, you're going to do an event at Jimmy's Number 43. You talk about wine versus beer. Um, what are some of the principles of that type of tasting? Just talk us through how you would run a wine versus beer tasting. So there's this idea that wine and cheese go together. Everyone knows, hey, cheese loves wine, wine loves cheese, all these different things. And in reality, beer is actually way easier to pair with food because of texture, like I mentioned before, also the absence of tannins. Wine has these things called tannins, which make them very difficult to pair with food. The acid levels, wine is often more alcoholic. So wine actually has a lot working against it in terms of pairing, and beer has a lot going for it. So it's fun to kind of put them up against each other and enlighten people who thought they loved wine and cheese might actually really, really love beer and cheese. So I always feel like I'm at a disadvantage here because wine is more difficult, but that makes it more fun for me to try and pick wines, like a sparkling wine, for instance, that has bubbles and that textural element to kind of sway the crowd back over to me. And Zach? I mean, it's, it's funny because having such a humble opponent already talking about <laughs> how, how much easier it is for beer to be paired up with these food pairings. I mean, I've, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of food and well-prepared meals and things like that, and it's always kind of surprising to me to have it heightened by, by the perfectly picked beverage, whatever it is. Um, I cut my teeth in the wine world before I even got into beer. I, I, I learned Reddit in Vino, where Keith here is from, uh, over in the East Village, uh, straight up with Italian wines, pairing it with different foods, and like learning what worked with what salads and steaks and risottos, and and you know you could get perfect Nebbiolos up with with a delicious skirt steak, and, and it would be great, or, or like really hearty hearty um, Barolos with a, with a nice risotto, and you know, and it was always like an experience to have those two go side by side. Uh, then I uh, I started dabbling in beer and, and picking up all the books. Um, Randy Mosher and, and Garrett Oliver and those guys who literally wrote the book on food and beer pairings and uh, started realizing and testing out at home for myself. Um, I think the epiphany for me came when I first had my a piece of blue cheese, which I used to, four years ago, I used to not be able to stand the taste or smell of blue cheese, had, uh, had that paired up with uh, a Brooklyn Black Ops, and it kind of blew my mind. It actually, it absolutely blew my mind. It was a, a huge 
uh, shifting moment for me and my appreciation for food and beverage. So ever since then, I've tried to kind of recapture that moment for other people. And, and I've, we've had the opportunity to do this a few times where Tess and I have put things down for friends with different cheeses and different simple foods and, uh, and watch their face, watching their faces light up when they found that electric beautiful chemistry between two so we, we have a few foods out here from roberta's right now or pretend we pretend that we do but uh so let's w- walk us through it so pick a couple of the simple food items that you guys would do in a tasting like want to start with blue cheese so yeah what would we, you put we on would for start blue with cheese? blue cheese and and there's so many different styles of beer and wine that it really is as zach said it's about finding the perfect beverage because once we get into it you know there's all different styles all different alcohol levels there's sweet there's dry for a blue cheese, I would tend to go into the sweet arena. So something like a Tokai or a Sauternes or even something with a little bit of bubbles like a Moscato d'Asti. Uh, yeah, the bubbles, that's part of the reason why Barry has a bit of an unfit, unfair advantage in, in this arena is because, like Randy Mosher says, it literally scrubs your palate. So if you have something very spicy or very, very uh, astringent like a blue cheese or Stilton, um, you you can still pair it and not have it be overwhelmed with what you're, by what you're drinking or have it not overwhelm what you're drinking. So uh, I, I always go with something like a Russian Imperial style. You could do Imperial IPAs as well, um, which which also work. But I uh, I think that beautiful dark uh, rosiness. Yeah. Garrett Oliver's, his, his perfect uh, pairing with Stilton is a, a good barley wine. Oh, yeah. Barley nice. wine also works, of course. That would totally work. Yeah. So what, what's, what's the next food item? And then we'll get Patrick in, too, to see what he would say. So the next typical food item, I would say, would be some sort of meat, either like a smoked sausage or charcuterie, something with, with a different kind of animal fat. So like um, the cured meat plate they have here at Exactly. The, the, yeah. the cured meat or any type of charcuterie. And for that, wine actually does have a bit of an advantage that tannin structure, that, that mouth-drying component comes from the grape skins, actually pairs beautifully with animal fat. And that's just a rule of thumb in, in wine pairing. So I would go for something, a red wine that has a fair amount of structure to it to cut through that fattiness. I, uh, I, for beer, it's different. We actually have meat and cheese plates at our, at our bar. And, and depending on what we have on draft that week, it changes up. But I usually go for things like Hamon Serrano or Prosciutto de Parma. I like to put down... Um, something easy going like, a, like an American pale ale or a pale ale um, just to kind of balance out the saltiness of it, which can be off the bat pretty intense. And again, the bubbles in the beer really help um, get through it without having the, you don't want anything that you're drinking to overpower the delicate flavors that make prosciutto de Parma what it is or Hamon Serrano, like as beautiful as it is. So um, that's the kind of perfect middle ground, having like a very, very easy, even Pilsners in certain cases, like a German style Pilsner would work really well. Patrick, what would you pair with like a simple charcuterie plate? Prosciuttos and serrano hams and stuff like that. Doesn't uh, have to be the, a beer that you make, but have you had an experience with, <laughs> why can't with food it be a beer? It could, be, it could be. Well, it could be. <laughs> that American Pale Ale. Yeah, great. American you didn't bring us. Like, you didn't bring us the beer I really wanted to try. Yeah, the dark mild. It's 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 in the fermenter. It's it's all all but ready, man. And it's uh, damn the it's fermenter. A great, it's a great beer. Uh, it's it's I love my miles. favorite that we make. Yeah, yeah it's about four and a half percent. You know, but with all that. Somehow I think of that as going with prosciutto. I I could totally see that. Yeah, I mean that's like having rye bread, rye bread with your prosciutto. You know, I mean I'm just I'll lay it out there. I'm just a brewer. I'm not a food expert, but uh, my go-to is always you know the hoppier stuff uh, for spicier food. You know, yeah. Um, When it comes to salty stuff, I I think a dark beer would would go great. 
Um, yeah, I'm a masochist. Right? I like to do hoppy stuff with my spicy food too. It makes it, it let's makes let's it give us an example. Give us pick another typical food product. So and then we'll get Keith. I'll introduce Keith, and he can talk about it too. This maybe isn't super typical, but the last time we we did this as a test run for our friends, we actually had some Indian food. So I made that test made. I made <laughs> some some chickpea masala, chana masala. It was it was nice, um, and this is typically really hard to pair, right? Indian food is not super friendly for beverage pairings, but that makes it all the more fun. And if you are going to pair, you're usually thinking about beer. So talk about masochism. I really wanted to give myself a challenge here. Um, But I went with something very light with bubbles, not an intense bubble like champagne, but more of a frizzante effect. So something like Chacolina, um, which comes from the Basque country of Spain, is very, it's lower in alcohol, about 8%, really kind of bright on the tongue, high acid, and works kind of like a beer, similar to Vino Verde, which just cuts through, is refreshing, and kind of cleans your palate up so that it can experience those other levels of spiciness going on. Great. Zach, what would you pair with Indian food? With the, uh, with the chana masala that she made, I, the beer that I paired that night, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but I thought it was an Imperial IPA. I think I brought in Double Jack by Firestone Walker. It wasn't incredibly spicy off the bat, which, you know, hoppiness can really, you know, if you want to really kick up the spice in your food, hoppy beers are the way to do it. It, it exacerbates the spice. I mean, it makes it spicier. It makes it spicier. But if, it I, spicier. if I was having really spicy food, I would go with some type of sour or like a sweet and sour. I, yeah. That's exactly red. right. I, that, I, at, at the time, I don't think we had any sours available to pair up with it. it I it love does, that. It, it kind of like cools it down. Yeah, you know? exactly. It's a, it's a contrast as opposed to the compliment. Can we introduce? So you guys brought Keith. So Keith, just or Tess, why don't you introduce Keith? So Keith is my partner for Feed Me Wine. We do wine classes in the East Village at his restaurant in Vino every Monday. They're super fun, um, and he's taught me most of what I know in terms of wine education. And he's awesome. I want to say hi, Keith. I'm I'm awesome. <laughs> hi, how you doing, man? And Vino's kind of classy. It's a, it's a, it's a little shop. And how long have you had it? Yeah, it's a it's a little uh, wine cave. Um, on East 4th Street. Um, I actually was the first waiter at this restaurant, and I ended up becoming a manager of the restaurant. Then I ended up buying the wine of the restaurant, and I'm scooting up to, closer to the microphone right now. Um, and uh, so it, I was the first waiter, then I was the manager guy, then I was the guy who bought the wine, and then myself and a business partner uh, actually bought the restaurant in 2007, and at the same year opened a wine shop as well. So, so it's in Vino, it's on 4th Street in the East Village. Yep. And you you also have what's the wine shop? The wine shop is um, uh, Alpha City Wine Company on Avenue C. All right, and then Zach, your ABC Beer Company. Right? I am ABC Beer Company, right two doors down from the wine shop. All We're right. a nice little East Village family. It's it's fantastic. You guys are awesome. And look, looking forward to it. So more wine classes at Invino. Always go in for beer and pairing classes at ABC Absolutely, Beer Company. Absolutely, yeah. Next week, uh, Jimmy's number forty three. We got Zach and beer versus Tess and wine. Which I'm looking forward to. And I would say what? We should plug what? Randy Mosier's book. Randy Mosier's... I mean, you can't do this without Randy Mosier's book. You can't do it without The Brewmaster's Table by Garrett Oliver. They're two... If you just want to get right into it, they're great. Sam Calgione wrote a book with... uh Oh my god, I forget her name. Yeah, we forget, but, but it's but they it's, paired, he, he, shed, says, he, he says said she said he said she yeah. said beer or whatever. It's a fantastic book for for people who are just looking to like point and open a book and do it. The other two have a little bit more robust knowledge on this on the topic, but they're all three very very useful uh 
Uh, Marnie Old, thank you. That's her name. Jesus, thank you very much. Ellie. And this is something you can do at home with your friends as well. When you have a meal, just you know, do a BYO party. Some people bring beer, some people bring wine. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a lot. Of, that's the thing. It's like you can turn this into a. It, it kicks up the notch of your party a little bit when people actually have a slight competitive nature to it. It's like the Hunger Games, except you're actually hungry. And Patrick Morris <laughs> flagship retail. Where exactly is it in Staten Island? It's at Forty Minthorn Ave. Or, I'm sorry, Forty Minthorn Street. <laughs> But uh, it's 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 right off uh, the Bay Street in Victory. If you're a Staten Island guy, it's uh, right on. Right Tell you what, this summer when I if I was traveling to New York City, I would take the Staten Island ferry that's free, and now I have something to do on Staten Island. I'll go visit your brewery. Exactly. Right? And our buddies Adobe Blues. That's another great beer bar. Good yep, beer bar. We're going to be doing a tasting with them uh, in, the, in the next few weeks. And go down south. Kilmyers is in the south southern tip of Staten Island too. Mm-hmm. There's there's some places to get beer in Staten Island now, and and I'm so proud of you guys. Well, this is a lot of fun. Uh, we do this every week on uh, Heritage Radio Network. Uh, I'm going to be at the flagship opening this weekend. We're going to check it out. There's also the Judgment of Brooklyn. Uh, you should check that out in, in downtown Brooklyn. Uh, that's a great thing going on. A lot of cool things happening this time of year. New York City is the place for festivals and everything else. And uh, we're really uh, happy to be on the air. So, hey, here we are. It's Beer Sessions Radio. Thanks for our sponsors, GreatBrewers.com. Thanks to everyone who's helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. We've got Pat, Pat Tess, Zach. Natalie, Marty, they were on the air, and uh, Keith, all right, for joining me on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Maggie Seiden and Justin Kennedy, engineer Jack Inslee. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.